Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets that are important to you. Uh, this morning I was walking my dog, and I was listening to a podcast, and right as the podcast host was in the middle of telling a great story, I hear, JCPenney has everything you need for back to school. And I was like, what the hell is this? There was no warning. The host of the podcast wasn't between segments. Uh, this pre-recorded ad for JCPenney was basically just crowbarred into the episode, completely destroying my listening experience. It was, it was so jarring and distracting. And when the pre-recorded ad was over, the, the show continued with the host telling the story. But by that point, I was lost and I, and I didn't care anymore. Now, I'm telling you this because on this podcast, the People Are the Enemy podcast, there are no ads. And there's no Patreon. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love the show and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, please consider purchasing any or all of my novels. My name is Andy Mascola, by the way. I'm the host of the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm also a senior writer for the music blog Surviving the Golden Age and a self-published author with nine books currently available worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. And if you like ebooks but you don't use Amazon, you can find all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just type my last name, M A S C O L A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you prefer to read books in a physical format but you don't use Amazon, you can find most of my novels in paperback format at barnesandnoble.com. BN.com if your keyboard's missing keys. Now, if you already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 246 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. You've tuned into a great one. This is going to be a fun episode. I promise you're in the right spot. Why would you listen to anything else? I can't even imagine. All right, before I get sued by that, uh, <laughs> that complete infant <laughs> whose name shall not be mentioned, uh, I will shut that off. Uh, that was a kidsy ghost, by the way, um, that project with you know who and Kid Cudi, and I'll only mention one of their names. Anyway, <laughs> folks, our guest today, Jerry Papandrea, is a YouTuber and food reviewer. His channel, Dairy X Dines, recently surpassed half a million views. Now, I've known Jerry for a long time via social media, and we have a few things in common. We're both Italian-American guys from the Northeast. Uh, Jerry's a fan of good music, as am I. And we're both longtime aficionados of The Best Show with Tom Sharpling. 
Another thing Jerry and I have in common is that we both recently watched the HBO docu-comedy series The Rehearsal, a show that features comedian Nathan Fielder helping ordinary people rehearse difficult conversations or life events through the use of sets and actors hired to recreate real situations. Now, at this point, I'd like to warn listeners who have yet to see The Rehearsal that there will most likely be spoilers during my conversation with Jerry. So, if you intend to watch the rehearsal, or you're in the middle of watching it, and you don't want anything you haven't seen revealed to you prematurely, I'll advise you at this point to skip ahead to Rachel's chart chat segment. Otherwise, here we go. Let's speak with Rachel... Uh, Rachel? Let's speak with Jerry Papandrea right now. Hello, Jerry. Are you there? I am here. How are you, Andy? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for talking with me today, Jerry. I, I completely appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Jerry, you're, you're from the capital region of New York State. Are you there now? Yeah, I am. Very cool. Jerry, you specialize in food entertainment and food appreciation, and a lot of your social media is made up of recipes, reviews of local eateries of all styles of cuisine, and perhaps my favorite, these bite-sized, no pun intended, clips of you taste-testing new food products, like uh, Stranger Things Spicy Ranch Doritos and Dr. Pepper-flavored cotton candy, and magical poop marshmallows. Now, I'm, I'm dying to know how you become aware of these unusual products, first of all. And second, where the hell do you find this stuff in order to try it? That's a really good question. It gets asked a lot. So this is a little series that I started doing on YouTube Shorts and also on Instagram Reels and TikToks and all those other vertical short-form video you know, formats. Um, and it's something that we... One day I stumbled into, I got 2,000 views in 20 seconds on one of these videos on YouTube Shorts. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just make the same video every time using different snacks. As far as where we find them, uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, the latest uh, treasure trove that we had, we spent $40 at a Dollar Tree on Friday night. And we have a, um, a pretty long recording session to get through all of those silly snacks. Um, Otherwise, my, my wife will walk the aisles in Target and pick up, you know, a lot of those types of things. A lot of the special chip flavors she'll find there. Um, I think we found chili cheese Frito flavored uh, kettle cooked Lay's potato chips at a supermarket in North Carolina when we were vacationing. So anytime we see a silly snack, we pick it up for silly snack reviews. That is so cool. So I, I, I thought, well, maybe he's got an inside scoop. Maybe he's getting some kind of emailed list. But you're saying... It's based purely on walking up and down the aisles and finding odd things. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, uh, I don't I don't read emails. I don't I, I'm not subscribed to any email lists. Um, I, I I don't have any electronic means of um, finding all this new stuff because by the time you see it online, it's already old. So um, it's literally you see it in the store, you pick it up, and then. Start making videos. Now, any any of these odd snacks, Jerry, have you have you come across any that you absolutely loved and have been picking up on the regular since? Or is it just a is it just a fly by night kind of deal where it's like you try it and you're like, all right, let's move on to something else? It's kind of a fly by night thing, but um I will say that um one of the the reverse kind of is true. Um a couple of years ago, Cheez Its came out with the, what they have on the box saying the, the most requested flavor of Cheez-Its, which is extra toasty. And I, I will say, if they got rid of every other flavor of Cheez-It, the extra toasty is the flavor that should replace the entire line. Um, and one day, like, you know, we were sitting there and I, we had a box of it and my, my son Noah was eating some of it. 
I said, you know what? We haven't done that for silly snack reviews. It's been out around for a while, but who the hell, who the hell cares? Let's, let's sit down in front of the camera and do it. And that was actually a pretty popular one as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's never been, I, I don't really buy snacks aside from content just because, um, if I want a snack, I'll just steal some of Noah's stuff. <laughs> so very cool. Very cool. Yeah, as I mentioned, Jerry, you 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 appreciate all styles of cuisine. You're very knowledgeable about lots of different countries and and as far as what they offer in terms of what they're known for. Do you have one favorite type of cuisine? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say my favorite cuisine, like pretty much anything on the menu, would be what I like to order. Would be South Indian, where everything's a little bit spicier. Um, sp- spicier in terms of heat level, yeah. but also with the s- same like breadth of spices of you know normal Indian, uh, Pakistani food or you know like takeout American style. Um, but the South Indian flavors are definitely like my favorite kind of go to. Awesome. Do you have a, you have a favorite dish? Um, but you, you know any kind of curry. Uh, if if I'm really feeling adventurous, I'll, I'll eat this dish called fowl, which is like one of the spiciest dishes on earth, and um, if you've seen anything about it, um, I think it was on Man vs. Food 14, 15 years ago. And um, he was in a place in New York City where they made it. And the, the chef had to wear a gas mask while they were making it because uh, of the exhaust of all the peppers. It's that, that spicy. Wow. Um, it, what, is, what is it called it's again? Intense. It's called Fall, P-H-A-A-L. Wow. And it is, uh, it is intense. Very cool. Jerry, as I mentioned in my introduction for you, you're a longtime fan of The Best Show with Tom Sharpling. How did you discover The Best Show, and, and what about the show made you become a regular listener? So I I was actually telling my brother about this, because my brother Dominic is also a fan of The Best Show, and he and I were introduced to The Best Show by our friend Jeff, who was a fan for much longer than we were. Uh, in 2007, Jeff finally coerced us to you know, get our iPods out. And I had a third generation iPod that I was downloading my podcast to. Um, and I would actually be listening to the best show on my hour and 25 minute drive into work each day. Um, and, uh, the first episode that we, that I downloaded was, uh, it was one of the ones where Tom was talking about the movie Grindhouse in 2007. Yes. Uh, and then fr- from there it became kind of, uh, a ritual to like listen to it every week. And then what I noticed was in the 2008, 2009 era, there was a lot happening online in terms of Twitter and even Facebook groups and all that. Uh, you know, when we were listening, it was kind of when the, the message board, the, the friend of Tom message board was kind of phasing out. But um, I think there was an episode where Tom, uh, you know, said, well, I'm going to get on Twitter and uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I actually looked back at, you know, when I started my Twitter the first two accounts that I followed were Tom Sharpling and associate producer Mike. So I think Tom was the um, activation energy to get me to, to um, sign up for Twitter. And from there, the, the community has been amazing. Uh, and, you know, that kind of, um, you know, hearing the callers call in the same, you know, frequent people over years, which has shifted over time. It's just been, you know, part of it is the community, but also part of it is because the show is, you know, terribly entertaining. Um, you know, I've just been a fan for you know, now 15 years. Very cool. Very cool, man. I, yeah, similarly, I, 
I used to download the show from WFMU onto a Zen iPod, and I would listen to it while I was like I, I had an evening job, uh, picking up like uh, samples and driving things for a hospital, and I would listen to it while I drove, and uh, yeah, very very cool to hear somebody had a similar experience and discovered yep. it that way. Jerry, I've been meaning to invite you on this podcast to talk with me for a while now, and the impetus for doing so arrived when when you commented on Twitter in regard to the HBO show The Rehearsal, writing, quote, Do you believe uh, any of it is actually real? Personally, I feel like uh, lines were so blurred that it's hard for me to reconcile whether the real-life moments weren't orchestrated, end quote. Jerry, you'd mentioned you were recently re-watching the rehearsal in preparation for our discussion today. Upon second viewing, did you did you find you walked away convinced more or less of your initial assessment? I think it's a lot more clear that um, I, I don't want I'm not, I don't want to accuse Nathan Fielder of anything um, because I have a lot of respect for Nathan Fielder, but um, I, I think given some of the things that happened throughout the show. And, and specifically how the show ends, I think um, in my mind, I feel like most of it, if not all of it, is probably orchestrated. Really? Yeah. I, I, and, that, and the other thing that I've been trying to reconcile in my mind is that I can't really think of a reality television show that HBO has produced. Yeah. It's a good point. Now, <laughs> not, you, not to blow not to blow your mind there, Andy, but no, that's um, okay. This is that's that's very uh, very telling. Uh, at at the end of episode two of the rehearsal, the the one titled Scion, uh, Robin. Do you remember this this character? The um, Robin is the boyfriend. The, the, <laughs> the boyfriend. <laughs> the rehearsal boy, the boyfriend. That they yeah, have to he's obsessed over. with like numerics, and he's uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. He he bails on Angela, and she agrees to let Nathan into into the simulation. So do you, do you think it was Nathan's intention to be a part of the simulation the entire time? Okay. So this is another, this is another thing that I've been kind of thinking about and just seeing people's reactions to certain things. Um, I feel like when they filmed the first episode of the show and when they filmed the rest of the show, because you could tell the first episode was filmed pre pandemic, right? Um, I never thought about that, but I'm sure you're right with the core, I feel, with core. I, I, I I feel like something changed in terms of the concept. And I think because of the topics that got covered in those latter five episodes and the themes that kind of took over where you had some, some religion getting in there and then kind of the whole meta commentary on whether or not um, this type of exercise is healthy for certain age groups and certain people. Um, it, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe the show wasn't exactly fully fleshed out, you know, in terms of what they were expecting it to be. I, I got that impression for sure. Whether or not it was all completely orchestrated or not, I, I felt like they were floating a little bit. Like that first yeah. episode, I think it was called um, Orange Juice No Pulp with, yeah. with, with the African-American gentleman, Core. I felt like that was an honest... And honest to God, he was honestly looking to 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 confront this fear of his. Of of like, I felt that was real. Did you think he was an actor? So when when I first watched the show, okay. So here here is something that you have to know. I I didn't watch Nathan for you, the the Comedy Central show. Oh, okay. Until until I actually watched the first episode of the rehearsal. Okay. Um, 
for some reason, I, I know Nathan Fielder was actually on the best show at least a few times and also friends with Tom. Um, for some reason, it, it didn't strike me as something that I'd be interested in. And I never really paid much attention to it. And then upon, <coughs> excuse me, upon watching that first episode of the rehearsal, I actually went through and binged the entire run of Nathan for you. Um, when, when I watched, when I thought about what I was seeing in Nathan for you in regards to what, what goes down in that first episode of the rehearsal, what, what my mind tried to connect was this is Nathan taking his like kitchen nightmares parody, but applying it to, the fears of these people, right? Yes, and that, that and that that was what that what the show was going to be. Um, we, what we found is that that's not what the show ended up being, right? But then once I got to the the finale of Nathan for You, I don't. Are, have, did you get to watch Nathan for You? Do you remember? The I show? did. Yeah, I. You know, okay. uh, there are certain things I, that stand out very clearly when I think of Nathan for You, and then I'll be sometimes reading things online about. Uh, Nathan Fielder and they'll reference and in an article it will reference an episode and I'll have no recollection of that or I'll see a clip like on TikTok that somebody posts and I'll be like I don't remember that at all and then there are things that will stay with me forever you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so so you remember the finale Finding Francis which was it was like what an hour and 20 minutes yes was a movie. that was I think the okay. second or third season of the show right the Finding Francis that was, the, that was the, the series finale. So I think they did three seasons. Yes, that sounds about right. And, yeah, and and, and, and that was a great final episode. Now, I believed everything I saw in that episode. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. So um, I feel like even on the Comedy Central show, a lot of what we saw, what actually happened, and it kind of got painted through that reality television where, you know, the edit becomes the, you know, the comedy, right? Um you know, the concept and the edit are the comedy. Yes. You, you know, Nathan Field is showing up at a frozen yogurt place saying, you know, we're going to, we want to, we want to create a buzz. So we're going to create a viral concept and we're going to make poo flavored um, frozen yogurt. Yes. And the owner just, just being like, yeah, that's absolutely not going to work. And then the, sh- <laughs> the show ending with Nathan saying, you know what, that, you know, it was a great idea and concept, but it just wasn't going to work. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's kind of funny, but that's what the show ended up being like. But that Finding Francis episode kind of didn't really fit the entire entirety of that show at all. If you if you actually take that episode and put it into the context of the rehearsal, it makes a little more sense there. But even that, it like when I watched Finding Francis, there were certain things in there that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable in terms of Nathan's involvement in the in that whole situation. Yes, Nam- namely him hiring the escort. Yes. There, there, there was something about that that it was like, I don't really understand why, why he's doing this. Like, if, if it's for comedy, she's there's some ethics here that, that are just not, I don't know, it's not working out. And I think a lot of that, I think you, I think you need to see that episode to understand kind of the difference between Nathan for you and the rehearsal, and as far as what I, what I think the rehearsal is. Um, and that Finding Francis is kind of the bridge between the two. Interesting. That's that's a that's a great take. Very impressive. I like that. And speaking of poop, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about this uh, in regard to episode three, the one titled "Gold Digger" from uh, the rehearsal. In this one, Patrick he wants to ask his brother for his share of the inheritance. Do you remember this episode? Yeah. Okay. I do. Nathan, in order to make sure Patrick's intentions are pure. 
hires an actor to play his, meaning Nathan's, fake grandpa and have Patrick walk through an artificial scenario unknowingly that ends with Patrick apparently wiping the fake grandpa's butt after he poops in the woods. Now, do you, yes. do you think Patrick actually wiped the fake grandpa's bum? Yeah. You do? <laughs> you yeah, do? Well, well, because he, he felt entitled to, to that inheritance that that guy said that he was going to leave him. Yes. But so, again, so in thinking that a lot of this show was orchestrated, you think that, again, the fake scenario that was set up with with the fake grandpa in the woods digging for gold, and when he comes to the point where he's like, I'm having a little problem here. I was hoping you could help me out. And then it cuts. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't see him actually do it. You think he actually did it. I, I think, you know, just I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have followed through with a lot of that stuff. I mean, given that the fact that Nathan even made the video with the kid a couple episodes later where, that you know, he, the kid said he had to eat poop to, to be cured. And then they use this, the candy Oh, bar, yeah, yes, yes. You know, I mean, Dr. I, I, Dr. I, Fart. Yeah, <laughs> right, Doctor. I I don't see why they would have um, why they wouldn't have followed through through with that. And also, if if you're gonna believe it's real, why why you wouldn't believe that that guy actually did it? For me, that might have been like I really loved the show in its entirety. I really did. Um, I think for me that that one episode with the the brother who wanted to get the inheritance from his older brother and was nervous about it and. Uh, ultimately has this seeming again seemingly real experience after Nathan walks him through this fake scenario with the fake grandfather in the woods digging up the gold and everything where he sits down and he starts cry like literally legit looks like legit crying in front of the fake actor brother and then and then ultimately never shows up after that do you remember that he just goes Nathan yeah i thought and they like I thought that was maybe my favorite episode of the whole series where it felt like just the scenario was enough to kind of cure him of this, of this thing that was holding him back in regard to, yeah, but, hold, but, but hold on a second. And here, here's where there's some details that, that you get from Nathan's voiceover. I think that you kind of have to question exactly what you're seeing too. Okay. So remember if, if you remember what happens is that guy, what Nathan tells us is that guy went to a fair, some kind of local, like, carnival thing, yes right? yes for, for fu specifically for funnel cake yes because <laughs> he never tried right? funnel cake yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. And so, so nathan made attempts to contact him yes but his cell phone was dead yes if this, if this guy really walked off and there was no communication how would nathan know it's because the cell phone died that's a good why point is that an why is that an important detail for him to to disclose to us so I, so i see things that like that that peek through yes and and he so, so I, I know you have a lot of questions that for, for me, and I don't want to derail what you No, it's, it's fine. I but, love this. I love it because, you know what? I, I never considered that, Jerry. That's, like, okay. again, great insight. Great take on it. Okay. Very nice. You're, so helping, let, let, you're helping me. Go ahead. All right. Let, let's, let's talk. So here's basically my, my, main, my main point for why I think the show is basically fiction. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. So the show ends with, Nathan and, and okay, you you gave the spoiler thing. Yeah, for sure. So folks, folks listening, they, yeah, they know this is going to be spoiled. So go for it. You say we're, whatever you want. We're, we're, we're blowing it away. Like we've given the episode names. We've given the exact plots. <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not preserving any of it. If you, if you haven't seen the show and you haven't left this already, 
Um, I don't know why you're listening, but at the same time, um, no, in the first question I asked Jerry, he said, you know, already mentioned that Nathan joins the simulation. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a huge spoiler right there, but go ahead, please. Yeah. Okay. So the show ends where there was this whole weird situation where Nathan ends up simulating becoming the kid's mom. Yes. And, and the catharsis of the show is that in that interaction with the child, he slips and he calls himself dad. Yes. And when the kid, when the kid challenges him on it, he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm your daddy. They end with a hug that is very similar to the hug from Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, where, um, you know, the Willy Wonka, well, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, the Gene, Gene Wilder movie, where he hugs the kid and then get up and they run away and the credits roll, right? Yes, get up and you see uh, Nathan's uh, butt crack. Right, yes. <laughs> in, in, in the first episode, Orange Juice No Pulp, there's that, there's that scene where. Um, you know, it pans up to that balloon that's up in the, um, you know, blowing around in the, the HVAC system. Yes. And the theme from Charlie or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is playing pure imagination, right? Yes. So I feel like like that right there, what, what, what Nathan was trying to do was thematically kind of link everything so that, like, obviously the show is not what it seems, right? Yes. But I think th- I think that right there is like, Basically, them telling him telling us that you know this is definitely a work of fiction. Wow, it's just too it's too similar. You know what sure, I mean? It, sure. It's, so that's kind of that the other thing, and that kind of gets out of the way. So my two things for for think my two biggest reasons for thinking that the rehearsal is a fiction show is a um, HBO doesn't exactly do reality television in the, the traditional sense. Uh, typically, I can't think of one. Like, obviously, there's real sports and there's, like, Bill Maher. And yeah, that there was a stuff. show called Real Sex also, which was sort of like a documentary series. Yeah. Yeah, but but, but even even that, like, I think I think it's come out over the years and, like, that taxicab confessional, that, like, a lot of those were orchestrated as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's number one. And number two is the, the Charlie and the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory connection of those scenes. Interesting. Yeah, I like how you put that together. Great analysis. I love it. Jerry, in, in, yeah. in episode five, Nathan's parents visit and suggest that Nathan raise the simulation son, Adam, as both a Christian and a Jew. Now, do you think those people were Nathan's real parents? So here's another thing. Um, all right. So you, if you go to IMDb for the show, you only see the people who were hired as actors on the show. So even Angela doesn't have a page on IMDb, right? Okay. His parents, his parents don't have, uh, you know, an IMDb, but Nathan also doesn't exactly have a very um, visible life on social media. So I don't know if that's his parents or not. Yeah. I kind of felt like they were, but who knows? Yeah, you, it's a good point. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't go looking over on the internet for, you know, pictures of Nathan and his parents, but who's to say that, you know, whatever's out there, Nathan is able to make... Any, anything viral. It's who true. Say, it's true. to say that he, could, he couldn't make up this, you know, this pictures of these people that have been out there for years. You know? It's true. I, I, I saw a post by somebody suggesting that Angela uh, was an actress and then linking to a page that she had. But it was very simple, this page, and it looked like, yeah, just like you said, it could have been thrown together as, um, as a distraction, as sort of a way, okay. you know what I mean? So... I have another another theory about Angela, and I think I think to me it seems very clear that she is an actress as well. Mm-hmm. And here's here's part of the reason why. So you know, 
he has his um there's that episode the fielder method where you kind of see a lot of the actors that he hired and he interacts with a lot of them and you see the fake angela and then you see the scenes where he's interacting with the actors right yes all of those all of those seem like organic interactions and conversations anytime that you see a, a scene where angela is going to talk it's always framed right so it never starts where they're mid-conversation. It's always sitting there. Almost always the camera starts out on Angela. And almost always it seems like there's a beat before they actually get into the conversation. Like it's like so, scripted lines that have been remembered is what you're suggesting. Like, like she's an actress, right? Mm-hmm. Because other, other, otherwise that's not how normal conversations happen. Mm-hmm. If you're on a reality television show like I, you know, I, I watch Jersey Shore. I'm not going to you know, sugarcoat it. No, I watched, I watched it too, yeah. You know, you don't see them sitting down and kind of saying, okay, we're going to talk about this right now. Yes. They they throw you right into the middle of the conversation. Right. So if this is supposed to be a simulation of real life and and Angela is a real person who's in this simulation, why why does it seem like everything is orchestrated with Angela in the scenes? Good point. Good point. Now, here's one last last, uh, question in regard to the show, if you don't mind. And and I I suppose it's... explicitly poignant at this point in our conversation between you and I, because I want to talk about Remy, the the kid who gets attached to Nathan and he calls him dad and believes that he's his real father to the point at which Nathan has to go visit the kid at home and sit him down and try to convince him that, no, this was just acting. Do you recall this? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the main driver of the last few episodes. Do you do you think that was real? Um, I, I that that's the hard part. That that's the part where like I was watching that last episode and I started to get a little uncomfortable because it's like, all right, you know, um, it's kind of funny when you're you're recreating every element of somebody's house to, um, you know, create a rehearsal space for that person to, um, you know, tell somebody that he didn't complete a master's degree but when you have act kids who are hired as actors who are so engulfed in the situation that they can't separate the fact of whether or not the person who's playing their dad is their dad um that's where i was getting a little uncomfortable sure um i mean the the, the thing that we have to remember is those kids are child actors or so or yeah or yeah or, or attempting to be yeah so so it's not implausible that that kid would would have that but at the same time why why are they showing us this interaction if 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 that were truly the case with all the ethical lines that are being crossed why wouldn't nathan just kind of like ghost from the situation and not actually like show up in that kid's life to confuse the kid any further you know what i mean yes yeah for sure excellent excellent analysis jerry i mean it's it's kind of it's difficult to say because I don't want to be like, all right, it's it's all fate because like yeah, because you I see just, a, a six year old or a seven year old, whatever he is, and you can't imagine that. First of all, it's 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 very hard to imagine that that kid was acting. But at the same time, he is a, he's a, a, an actor. Like he was hired as an actor, so there's a yeah, it's a it's hard to reconcile that. Yeah, Jerry, uh, the re- rehearsal has been picked up by HBO for a second season. Will you watch it? I, I I don't want it to sound like I didn't like the show at all. I, I think I think it's a brilliant show. I think the topics that they even came out with and the, and the comedy in there 
was brilliant. In the first episode, so there were two two big things. I've watched the first episode four times. I've watched the rest of it twice now. Okay. The in the first episode, the the scene where he's where he basically is going through what he did wrong in the simulation. Um, and there's the quote where he says, I was trying to play it cool, but due to a differences in chairs, I looked like a fool. And they show you the different chairs that he had bought for the simulation versus what was in Core's house. That, I exploded laughing the first time I saw that. And I had to pause it. And, like, literally, I laughed for five minutes the first time I saw that. So there was that scene. And then this, the scene at the end where um, Nathan was uh, trying to tell Core that, that he was coming clean about basically cheating the, the, um, uh, the trivia questions by subliminally planting the, the answers in his head. Yes. And the way that's shot, you know, you're seeing the back and forth, you're seeing Core kind of get a little bit like upset when, like, right as Nathan was going to tell him. But then it switches to the actor yes. core. Yes, I I could not stop laughing. That was so, that, that was a phenomenal scene. I also it, I, I I don't know if you found this as hilarious as I did, but the scene where Nathan and Core are going for a walk, <laughs> and Nathan has people planted in uh like policemen and construction men all like, and their entire purpose is to give away answers to these very involved trivia questions. Yeah, that was amazing. That was so funny. I laughed so hard. Yeah. Yep. But uh, um, very, very. Yeah. Cool. No, I, I, I thought that like the, the comedic sense of it, and like you know when um when Nathan is talking about going back to to, to Temple, and he's like, uh, I haven't been back to Temple in so long because it's so boring. <laughs> you know, but it was like it's just like stuff like that. Like Nathan is great at, at in the voiceover. That's that's number one. But also like a lot of the comedy in the show, I thought was very good. I think I think season two is gonna is gonna be amazing, but I don't know I don't know what to expect. No, I think that's part of the part of the the joy of it. Yeah, it's just like what what can where you know how much how much farther can you take it? It's it was taken so far, but you know that especially if you've watched Nathan for you and then the rehearsal, you know it's like constantly upping the ante and and pushing the limits and uh, in terms yeah. of what uh, what you can do uh, visually in visual storytelling, and it's uh, it's phenomenal. Jerry, this has been yeah. so much fun, buddy. I, I really, really appreciate your time, and I appreciate you talking with me. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. This was great. I had a good time. This was great. I'm going to hand things over right now to our friend, Rachel from Des Moines, with the Chart Chat. Take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened last week. It really means a lot that people listen and get something out of the segment. I especially want to thank VJ Big Suit for playing not only I Keep Forgetting on his show, but for following it up with Regulate. So that was a lot of fun to hear those back to back. This week for the 70s, we're in September 7th of 1974. And starting us off at number 92 is the Commodores with their instrumental Machine Gun. And this would make it to number 22. This was the first single off of their first album of the same name. And it also went to number 20 in the UK and Canada. And I read that this is one of two uh, instrumentals on the album, but the Commodores were more known for their songs with vocals. Uh, this one you might remember from Boogie Nights. There was a scene in the disco with uh, Dirk Diggler and the gang, as well as uh, it was sampled in, that's in Hey Ladies that we featured a few weeks ago. 
And I put this one on the pigs just because it seems like one maybe you would have heard, but maybe wouldn't know it was the Commodores. So um, just wanted to share this one. And it's sampled more times than just that Hey Ladies. You probably hear it more and more now that you've that's pointed out. At number 90 is Life is a Rock, But the Radio Rolled Me by Reunion. And that would eventually make it to number eight. And the song was written by Norman Dolph and Paul DeFranco, and it was sung by Joey Levine, who had sang on hits for the bubblegum group Ohio Express. And this one is a big one on 70s Saturday Night that I used to listen to. And when I heard this, I suddenly came to understand the uh, McDonald's campaign that had been in 1988, uh, where it was a song that was kind of almost like a rap song of just all McDonald's items rhyming. Uh, if people remember this campaign, you get a, a, one of those really thin flexi discs that had the song on it, and the premise was you wanted to find the one that had the song sung perfectly with no mistakes, and you could win a million dollars. I remember we had one. It was something that, like, as a kid, you know, people would try to sing it on the playground and stuff. Um, but yeah, when I heard this Life is a Rock, it was like, oh, that's why they did that. Um, but the original lyrics were all pertaining to, you know, rock and pop music of the 50s through 70s labels and DJs and bands and songs and stuff. And it's a lot of fun. I pulled a clip of the McDonald's song and I decided not to put it in just in case one, it gets it stuck in your head or two, it makes you hungry for any of those things. So just look it up on your own time if you want. It should be under like McDonald's song 88 or 89. I believe it ran both years. At number 80 is Up for the Downstroke by Parliament, and that would make it to number 63. And uh, this was the first single off of their second album of the same name, and kind of begins, you know, the main sequence of Parliament albums. Uh, this was written by George Clinton, Bootsy Collins, Bernie Worrell, and Fuzzy Haskins. And if you've never done a deep dive on Parliament on the albums, like if you kind of know their singles or whatever, I highly recommend it. Lots of good stuff there. At number 38 is Shining On by Grand Funk Railroad, or just Grand Funk as they were known at the time. This would make it to number 11. This was their follow-up single to The Locomotion, and this song was played in the Homer Palooza episode of The Simpsons, and where Homer not only explains the members of Grand Funk, but it features his famous quote on how rock attained perfection in 1974. When I listen to this 74 chart, I definitely can tell why he said rock and not pop. I think rock Pop was having a tougher time. <laughs> Rock and R&B were stronger. But I really like Shining On, and I'm glad that uh, it's also charted. Up next at number 33 is Never My Love by Blue Swede. This make it to number 7. And this was their second biggest hit after Hooked on a Filling, which was also a cover. And that one made it to number 1. Um, the original of Never My Love was by The Association, and much of a slower, more mellow song. Um, so for me, who loves an umtempo cover, this one is a, a winner. And Blue Swede actually were a Swedish band. It was not just a clever name, as the saying goes. At number 30 is Earache My Eye by Cheech and Chong as Alice Bowie. And this would make it to number 9. This was originally released off Cheech and Chong's wedding album, but then it also appeared in the 1978 movie Up in Smoke, where they lip sync performed to it. Uh, the single, as it was played on the AT40 show last week, included the skit, uh, but what's on the Spotify is just the song itself. 
The song is pretty cool. It's got a monster riff. Um, it's just a fun kind of punk song. The Wikipedia page has a lot of mentions of where it's being banned on the radio and said to be for degenerates and such, but there's truly not a citation to be found. So I don't know what the real story is there. Then rub it in, rub it in. Uh, the last song I wanted to mention from the 70s chart at number 16 is Billy Crash Craddock with his song Rub It In. And I first heard this song a few years ago, you know, just in my just various chart listenings. And it sounds, I could not believe it. It's the basis of the Glade plugins jingle. Plug it in, plug it in. They just took this song about a, a man's love of having his partner rub suntan oil on him and made it about room scent fresheners for your home. Gently, constantly warms this refill cartridge for a full 30 days. Between this and that uh, reunion, Life is a Rock, we're really unlocking some things for the kids of the 80s and where they came from. Turning to the 80s this week, where it's on September 13th of 1986, and starting off at number 88 is Wild Wild Life by the Talking Heads. This would eventually make it to number 25, and this is off of their soundtrack of their movie True Stories. Um, and that's been covered on Mary versus the Movies. Uh, you should definitely listen to that episode. And this video for Wild Wildlife won Best Group Video at the 87 VMAs. And it features uh, actually footage from the movie, as you might expect. And I first heard of this song when my friend Andy performed it on karaoke at a Hy-Vee Christmas party. And it has, it was a great rendition. At number 71 is Human by the Human League. And this uh, was off of their fifth album, Crash. And uh, like Don't You Want Me, it was a number one hit, but it feels much less known to me. And on my Spotify on the desktop version, you can see the play counts. And this had like 10% of the play counts of what that one did. So it was 346,000 versus 39,000. This is a perfectly nice song. I think it's a really beautiful ballad. Give it a listen. You might not even, maybe you wouldn't know it was from the same group, but I think they're both great. At number 35 is Sweet Love by Anita Baker. And uh, this was the second single off of her second album, Rapture, and it was the first to chart on the Hot 100. It was a number eight uh, and number two on the R&B chart. And this is another beautiful one from Anita Baker. Maybe it's her signature tune. Um, and this is off of that same album as Caught Up in the Rapture we featured many weeks ago. And once again, for her, just we hope to see that she gets controls of her masters or, you know, whatever is needed to get more of her music available on Spotify to be enjoyed by a new generation. At number 20 is Throwing It All Away by Genesis. And this would eventually make it to number four. And I'm kind of including this as a learning for myself because for whatever reason, I have a hard time keeping track of which songs are Genesis songs of the 80s and which is Phil Collins solo. And I had one time had this melody, just the melody stuck in my head. I can't remember any lyrics. I had to like sing it or hum it into my phone and upload it. And my friend told me what it was throwing it all away. And this is off of Invisible Touch. It was actually the follow-up single to Invisible Touch. And I saw that all five of those singles made it to the top five on the US Hot 100, which is a pretty big achievement. At number 17 is Two of Hearts by Stacey Q. This would eventually make it to number three. And Stacey Q had been in a group called SSQ, and they were a synth-pop band. And they, their name was based on the James Bond character Q that did all the gadgets. They were kind of fascinated with him. 
And then when she went solo, she kept her name. Her real name was Stacy Swain, and she's from Fullerton in Orange County, California. And I read that uh, Stacy had appeared on Facts of Life performing this song, and is also notably featured in the movie Hot Rod. And finally, from the 80s this week, is Glass Tiger with Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. This would make it to number two, and this is the first single off of their first album, and it was a number one in Canada. I read that they were from Newmarket, Ontario, and this, uh, the album was called The Thin Red Line. And I just feel this is a great sing-along song, always puts me in a good mood, and when you listen to it, you might be thinking, is that Brian Adams? And that is him on backing vocals. Um, and one kind of cool fact I saw on the Wikipedia page is that they had been listening to Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, before they wrote this song. And I feel like I can kind of hear the influence, and maybe it's just because I like both of the songs that I would say that, that kind of, you know, uh, positive association. But yeah, I guess if you like Everybody Wants to Rule the World, give this one a chance. Well, that's all from me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome stuff. If you haven't seen that Talking Heads movie, True Stories, you owe it to yourself to check it out. It, it's so fun. It's like really funny and really fun. And David Byrne breaks the fourth wall, basically is the audience surrogate, kind of walking you through American culture. And that's uh, the culture specifically of the 1980s. And it's it's pretty remarkable. And I'm sure... I'm sure it holds up. I used to have it on VHS and would watch it like every single day, like during summer vacation. I really enjoyed it. Folks, this has been episode 246 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Jerry, Pap, and Drea. Check out his links in the description of this show. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.